good, good long um, reading of Psalm 31. Uh, good words of truth. Well, uh, before we, we get going too far this morning, um, some of you may have seen in the back a couple, couple books on that um, table in the back. Um, the first one is one that uh, we've received from Crossway that they're giving out to different churches, or churches that, that ask for them, called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. And, and Donald Whitney, Dr. Whitney, he was a, a professor that I had. Did you have Dr. Okay, some of us had. Anyway, I had um, yeah, in seminary. And um, he has some great books on spiritual disciplines, but this one is just helping us to know how to, to look at God's Word and then just use it as a guide to pray. Um, so I encourage you just to grab one of those um, and take those home with you. And then um, you may also have noticed um, that we have these journals for the book of John, the Gospel of John. Um, so you know what that means. Um, we will be walking through the Gospel of John. Um, I'm a little intimidated by it. It's going to be a, a challenge. Um, there's some hard passages and some different things, but it's been a while since we've been in a Gospel. Um, when we started in 2017, when I was began here. We started in Mark, um, so it's been a little while since we've been in a gospel, so we're going to take some time to go through that. So I encourage you to, to grab one of those and use it throughout the week. You just to read ahead and make some notes. And there's a couple different types. There's this one that has the lines, and then there's the, the nice one that has the, the doodles and stuff and no, and no lines. So um, feel free to, to grab those from the back today. And it, we won't start next week, but the week after. So um, just a heads up on kind of where we're going with that. So we'll get there um, soon. Well, this morning, let's, let's pray. Let's pray together. Well, last week, uh, I began, I shared about how uh, our family, how we went to Six Flags in St. Louis when we were in St. Louis. And if you weren't there, I just shared about how we, we went on their wooden roller coaster, the boss, and how online it described it as a roller coaster that would make you feel like a bird soaring over mountains and valleys, and, and how um, I disagree fully with that statement, <laughs> and that, again, it, I felt like more like a bird in a cage being rattled like this, and um, sometimes life feels a bit like that, or just shaken up, and, and two, even in our walk in our life as we face difficulties and trials, we often run to different things that we think will give us comfort um, or help or refuge. Sometimes it's momentary and sometimes it's long-term that we run to these things and we find out they're, they're fake refuges that really are like a, that cage with a bird being shaken and they're of no help. I think of that example in the Old Testament of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt and they were then in the wilderness, and they went quick to a man-made golden idol to entrust themselves to that they made with their own hands. And sometimes we do that. We kind of build our own kingdom, our own hope, our own whatever it might be, and try to find refuge in that. And we might find we're more of a bird in a cage than entrusting ourselves to the one true living faithful God. And the psalm here, uh, it reminds us to entrust ourselves to the faithful one, to the living and true God. And we're not going to get all the way through this psalm um, today, just through verse 6. So we're just doing a short portion of it. There's so much just in these few verses. And as we first begin, we see, just to call it, to trust our life to our God, our, 
our faithful refuge, our faithful God who's a faithful refuge. May we entrust ourselves to him. And the psalmist begins in verse 1, in Psalm 31, to the choir master, a psalm of David, in you, O Lord, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. So he just begins, and the psalmist, David, he needs rescue, needs to be delivered. Uh, and as we see in the psalm that there are enemies just attacking and coming at him. And it was, we have read this morning, we see their state of, of grief and just a way down with sorrow and trial. And he prays out to God. He pleads to God. And he says, in you, in you, O Lord, O Lord Yahweh, the one true God, in you. And he says, he's calling and entrusting himself to God, in you do I take refuge. And this is a statement of faith. He's putting his faith in the person, in the character, in the words of God. In God, uh, I entrust myself. In God, do I take refuge and place my life in him. So there's this calling, this confidence of David. And David indeed entrusts himself to God and finds refuge in him. There's a confidence in the righteousness of God. As he says, in your righteousness, deliver me. In the righteousness, the faithfulness of God, he entrusts himself. And we are called to be those who entrust ourselves to God. I think of the words of Jesus as Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. Dwell in me, rest in me. And Christ even called us, entrust yourself. So we're called to entrust ourselves in God, knowing that God is good and he is righteous. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is full of steadfast love. He is faithful when we're not. He is overflowing with great faithfulness. He extends this incomprehensible love to us that we need the power of God to even understand that his strength and his grace to comprehend. We saw that in Ephesians as we walked through that. And also, he's a God who gives us that indestructible joy that's found in Jesus. We talked about that a little bit last week. But God is also just who will right all wrongs. And we can entrust ourselves to him. We can cast our cares upon him, cast our anxiety upon him. And yet, I think we still must note at the same time, even as we entrust ourselves to God, it doesn't mean that suffering and difficulty immediately um, disappear from us or that we will avoid them. But we walk through them, and we know that the Lord is steadfast and faithful in the midst of them. Even later in this psalm, in verse 21, David said, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. And that's striking. He's saying the Lord showed his steadfast love. I was in a besieged city, and yet the steadfast love was with me, sustaining and that's as we entrust him, we know that he will sustain us through those difficulties that we walk through. And we see that here. And then verse 2 continues. The psalmist says, incline, incline your ear to me. Praise to God. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Come, get me quick. Incline your ear. Listen close. And crying to God to listen to him and to get the full attention of God. 
hear my prayer and come quick and rescue me. And we can know that as we pray these prayers that the Lord is a God who inclines his ear uh, to his children, to those who have entrusted themselves to him, that he inclines his ear to us. He, he's quick to hear. And as parents, maybe if you're a parent or grandparent or aunts and uncles or uh, whatever it might be, we, we know kids have different cries. Sometimes it's a cry of, I want something and you're not giving it to me. And we might not be as inclined to that cry. But uh, then there's those cries where a child um, is hurt and they're freaking out and they're genuinely scared. And we, we run <laughs> as we know that we have an ear inclined to our child. But then there's sometimes, too, I, I think of um, as I was out of college and spent a couple of years in Ecuador doing missions. And there were some times I, I called home and, and I would have loved for them to say, okay, we're going to buy you a ticket and get you home. Um, but they knew that that wasn't best. That wasn't the best way to incline their ear and rescue me in that way. And as parents, we, we're kind of, we have to be discerning in things of ways that we, we answer. But our, our ears to a child and our God is even more inclined uh, than parents are to their kiddos. So we don't always get the answers that we want, though, sometimes. Think of Jesus in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And yet we, we do acknowledge uh, there are times where the Lord feels quite silent. Isn't that true? Think of a book on my shelf called When Pain is Real and God Seems Silent, Finding Hope in the Psalms. And that was by Pastor um, Legan Duncan, who's a pastor in Mississippi. I think of a book on a shelf in the back there, Spurgeon's Sorrows, Realistic Hope for Those Who Suffer from Depression by Zach Eswine. And then I think of also in the Psalm, Psalm 88, Verse 13 and 14, where the psalmist says it this way, But I, O Lord, I cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? And there are seasons where we walk through, and it seems that the Lord is far off. But we can be reminded that the Lord's ways indeed sometimes are mysterious. He does seem distant at times, but he is, is not absent. And we're called to persistently call upon him, and he hears us. And as we incline or call God to incline his ear to us, I think another aspect of that is that, in turn, we in our calling upon him incline our ear to him and submit to him and look to hear from him. This week I was reading or maybe it was last week, I can't remember, but Psalm 119, looking at verses 16, 169 and 170 that say this. It says, let my cry come before you. Again, incline your ear. Let my cry, my prayer come before you, O Lord. And then he says, give me understanding according to your word. He says, let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. So a cry out, Lord, hear me. And then 
may your word guide me and direct me. And sometimes that is that answer to that silent prayer. He's calling us and drawing us into his word to listen and to hear him that he might guide and that he might lead us. As we call him to incline, may we incline our ear to the Lord and what he is calling and saying. And then, second part of verse 2, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. So he just prays to God, be a rock, be a refuge, be a fortress, because he knows the Lord is a rock, is a refuge, is a strong fortress. So he calls upon the Lord, knowing the character and the works of God in the past of the way that the Lord has demonstrated himself. And he's saying, Lord, be a rock, a refuge, a strong fortress. Save me. And then verse 3 says, For you are my rock and my fortress. For you, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. So we see that David first, he says, Lord, Lord, will you be a rock? And then he goes and quickly says, for you are a rock. Lord, will you be my fortress? For you are my fortress. So we might ask, well, is David a bit confused? Is is God his rock or not? But I think we do that too. We pray this way as well, and we should. He knows indeed that the Lord, his God, is a rock. He knows that he has been a fortress and, and a stronghold. But he prays, Lord, again, concretely now demonstrate yourself. I believe he's praying that you are a rock and a refuge. It's a bit like we, we, we need to speak truth to ourselves, And even sometimes we pray, Lord, I know, I believe this. Help me believe. Like the song we sing, Jesus, you're better. Help my heart believe. And there's a bit of this, I think, going on here. And I often pray this for others and for myself, kind of in this way. Lord, manifest your love. Demonstrate tangibly your love to this person as they walk through this trial. Or in my life, Lord, I know you are... Love, please demonstrate your love. I know you're full of mercy. Please tangibly show me your mercy now. And I think we can pray that way. And it's helpful to pray that way. I think part of our struggles and trials, they do draw us near to God. And they also cause us to long for eternity, to see Jesus face to face. And may we cry out and ask for these things to be real and true. And then he says, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. In that prayer, lead me, guide me. And we need that as we walk through life. We're not called just to, to kind of blindly kind of figure it out, uh, muster up some inside wisdom, whatever that is. Uh, follow your heart, I don't know, whatever. And um, that's not what we're called to. Yeah. See, every, every so often as a family, we like to watch um, some Bear Grylls. I don't know if you guys know who Bear Grylls is, but he's an outdoor adventurer guy from, from England. Um, and I found out this week, I thought to myself, I bet his name's not really Bear. And sure enough, it's, it's Edward Michael. So Edward Michael, I guess Ed Grills didn't go together. I know there's nothing wrong with Ed. I know Ed's doing sound. He could mute me right now. But so Bear Grills, though, he, he's a guy who does all these outdoor crazy adventure stuff. But he'll take c- celebrities out on these treks. And he'll take them um, mountain climbing and... and They'll do rappelling and do ice crazy stuff and things where if they were to do it on their own, they would, would die. <laughs> but, um, but he leads them, makes me like nasty stuff, and I have a really heartfelt conversation, and I guess that's the, the root of the, the thing. But um, you couldn't just drop them out there and think things are going to go well for them. And, and in life, we, we can't just blindly um, 
fill our way through life and, and think that things are going to flourish. We have a God who's designed um, this world in a certain way and designed us for a relationship with him. And we're called to find our guidance to him and seek him. We need to be a people who are praying people and a Bible reading people because we need um, the Lord to grow us and to guide us. We need his truth and wisdom and guidance um, throughout uh, to lead us in so many ways and how to, how to love those around us, how to love well our kids, our spouse, our family members, our coworkers. We need his help for that. We need prayer to know how to, to walk in wisdom and making decisions and just discerning things of this world, and we need him. And David says, for your namesake, for your glory, please lead me, guide me in this trial, in this difficulty, be my, my guide. And then verse 4, and take me out of the net they have hidden for me. Again, speaking of his enemies, for you are my refuge. And then he continues, verse 5, he says, into your hand I commit my spirit. For you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Into your hand I commit my spirit, I entrust myself, my whole self. He's saying, I entrust myself to you, and I'm sure this... uh, Probably you're like, oh, didn't someone else pray this? Yeah, someone else did pray this. Jesus, he prayed this prayer from this psalm on the cross. He was dying on the cross for our sins, bearing the punishment that we deserved. He cries out to God and said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Me rested in him as he was being persecuted and suffered for us and his suffering then become became great gain for us as he entrusted himself to god the father think of isaiah 53 3 that speaks about his suffering he was again this is a prophecy as 700 years before the death of christ that spoke of christ's death in isaiah 53 3 he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And he delivered himself over to the will of God the Father. But then we're reminded that there was a resurrection coming. Right? We can't end the grave and the death of Christ, but resurrection and new life was coming. Joy out of sorrow. We saw that last week in the psalm, in Psalm 30, if you remember, where it said, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. In the end of Psalm 30, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And we're reminded of the resurrection as well as he entrusted himself to God the Father uh, as he died for us, but then rose again. Also, these words are words that are on the lips of other Christians throughout the ages who have given um, their life literally for Christ. I think of one famous one is of John Huss, who was a a Protestant reformer 100 years before Martin Luther, so early on. And he was sentenced to death by the Council of Constance. And as he was being prepared to be killed, one of the bishops said, And now we commit thy soul to the devil. And then Huss He replies calmly, I commit my spirit into thy hands, Lord Jesus Christ. Into into thee I commit my spirit 
which thou hast redeemed. We're reminded of this, even as he continues. And, and we, uh, well, we know too, one thing I was thinking of in, in this, as we think about this, uh, that we, on this side of the cross, that we know that Jesus Christ indeed died for us and then rose again victoriously, that we can remember and we can see in the, in the life of Christ that it points us to victory. It does point us to life. It points us to redemption, as he speaks about in this verse. You have redeemed me. You've rescued me. And it points us to hope and an eternity that we will experience apart from all suffering um, and trials and injustice in the kingdom of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we can be reminded of that. And David does continue. And he does say, you have redeemed me. So he speaks in the past tense. You've already rescued me. You have redeemed me. There's such confidence in this that the Lord is God, the faithful one. O Lord, faithful God, you have redeemed me. I've committed myself to you. You've redeemed me. And there's confidence, a strong statement of just unwavering confidence in the faithfulness of our God. He's entrusted himself to the Lord God. As I think of this, uh, throughout this week, um, in different ways, I've been reminded there's some different conversations where it's come up and just some things I've been thinking about. Thinking about uh, a, there's a biography by a Chinese, or a, a man who was a missionary in China, um, Hudson Taylor, and a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, and it's a biography about his life, and I saw it on our, one of our tables at our house, and I began thinking about that, and there's kind of a, a poignant point in that book. I remember as I first read it, and I think I read it once, and then I listened to it on audiobook, and I remember when I was listening to it and hearing his story, I just felt like there was such a weight upon um, Hudson Taylor's shoulders as he was like striving for holiness, striving for faithfulness in such a way that it made me weary. And I was like, this is, he's wearing me out. And there's a point where he just falls into dep- depression and struggle because he's pursuing after faithfulness and holiness in such a way that he's just, he's just is like, I can't do it. And he doesn't know where to go and where to run. And, and in this chapter, in chapter 14 of that book, we see what his spiritual secret is, and he realizes that he needs to rest in the bottomless wealth of the, the faithfulness of Christ. And he finds that from a letter. He's a, a letter of a friend that sends him a letter in the mail that wrestled with the same things, and, and he came to a point of resolution in his faith, and he sends Hudson Taylor this letter, and it really changed everything for him. And then Hudson, he writes, there's this, this letter where he writes to his sister that kind of records his thoughts and what the Lord has done. So this is, I'm going to read a little bit from this letter that he wrote to his sister about kind of this opening and realizing he needed to entrust himself to the faithful one. He said, when my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence from a letter from the dear, from dear McCarthy, one of his good friends, was used to remove the scales from my eyes. And the Spirit of God revealed the truth of our oneness with Christ as I have never known it before. MacArthur, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote, he says, I quote from memory, but how to get faith strengthened. So his friend wrote this, but how to get faith strengthened, not by striving after faith, 
but by resting on the faithful one. He said, as I read, I saw it all. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. I looked at Jesus and saw, and when I saw, oh, how joy flowed, that he had said, I will never leave you. Ah, there is rest. I thought, I have striven in vain to rest in him. I strive no more, for, ha- for has he not promised to abide with me, never to leave me, never to fail me. And dearie, again, he's writing to his sister, and dearie, he never will. So this is this picture of him recognizing he's been striving for faith, striving for holiness, striving to be enough. And he realizes, no, I need to entrust myself to the faithful one, abide in him, and he will never leave me, abide. <coughs> I think that, for me, is a helpful word and a helpful picture. We need to grow with one another. We need one another to point us to the faithful one. We need friends like Hudson Taylor had to write a letter that's pointed, that points us and reminds us of the truth of the gospel. And we need one another. We're not on this trek alone. And, and may we encourage one another and be honest with one another about our battles. And, and even, even this week, I, I was needed some prayer from some of my, my um, fellow uh, church planners and brothers, and they said, hey, can you pray about this? And then they, they, they were like, yeah, I'll pray about this. one of my dear friends, and um, we just need that, um, to do that. And that's one of the reasons, too, why we have smaller groups like our, our DNA group, our discipleship group, and our community groups. And I encourage you, if you haven't, just to be a part of that. We need that. We need one another. Then verse 6 through 8. This is going to go a little quicker. Don't worry. We're going to get through. And trust, we're called to entrust our lives to the living and loving God. A living and loving God. Verse 6, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. And I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, and literally and it is that of um, lying vanities, or vanities of falsehood, and it's a... a a way, a figurative speech to speaking of false gods and far, false idols. And he says, uh, I hate those who, who, who entrust themselves, essentially, to pay regard to things that are worthless, these idols that are, are worthless. So he calls them out, those who are entrusting themselves falsely to these things. And we know that idols are such that, that they can't do anything. Um, they can't be moved on their own. They, they need to be dusted. They need to be protected. They need to be guarded. They can be stolen. And he's saying, why, why would we entrust ourselves to these things that are false? But, but we do. Sometimes we, we entrust ourselves to refuges and hopes and promises that really are they're counterfeit. They're paper mache. <laughs> paper mache refuges. Paper mache hopes that we entrust ourselves to into idols. And, and idols can be different things. Um, in our life. Sometimes idols are things that we can vainly seek even to find identity in, I think. Uh, sometimes those are those idols. Maybe, like, maybe seeking identity in, in accomplishment or accolade or relationship or, or even how far you can or you can't throw a ball. I'm glad that, that my identity is not in that. Uh, even yesterday, Anthony and I were playing ball and a ball hit me in the face. And I was like, I'm going to have a, a fat lip today. The Lord... Uh, he was gracious. I don't have a fat lip today. But, but we, can, we can seek our identity in, in all these different things. Um, 
maybe in relationship, or even we can put a weight upon um, a spouse or relationship or kids to, to fulfill us or to bring us identity and significance in a way that um, they are never made to bear, and we crush them and we crush ourselves in the process. Think of Psalm 115, 4 through 8, that says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. We're reminded in the psalm not to entrust ourselves into things that, that can't see and can't, can't fulfill. Uh, and may we not put a weight upon things that are, were never made by God to give us identity and, and accomplishment, or our fulfillment, our refuge, our hope, our salvation. But may we look to Jesus. Verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my afflictions. You have known the distress of my soul. So he looks to God, the one who was full of steadfast love. And again, that that's a love that's that stubborn love of our God with no exit plan. Those idols, they don't have any of that. <laughs> They're not giving any of that away. They're just asking for your love and your dedicate, your, your worship. But he's a God who pours out his steadfast love upon us. And also in contrast, that he, he sees our affliction. Those idols, they don't see our affliction. They can't help us. See, you've known the distress of my soul where God is one who's, who's not unaware. And also this points us to the fact that even in the midst of affliction or trial, that our God still hears. He has not abandoned us. It doesn't mean that, that there is no God if we walk through trial and difficulty, but that he does hear and he does move and he is working. And even if he doesn't respond in the timing that we should, again, the example of me being in Ecuador and if my parents had sent, sent me a, a ticket to, to get out of Dodge, um, it would have short-circuited a lot of things that God was doing in my life and is used uh, in major ways throughout my life. Sometimes God um, tarries in answering those prayers, but he hears. He hears us. And may it draw us to him and long for eternity. So God is like this. Psalm 10, 29 through 31, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. That's who our God is. He gets, and sometimes for some of us, it gets easier to count those hairs that my kids remind me of all the time. They've been told not to do that anymore. But I think it'll keep coming, though. And you, verse 8, and you have not delivered me into the hands of my enemies. You have set my feet in a broad place. The Lord rescues and delivers. And I think of Jesus Christ as this psalm does point us directly to Christ. As he, Jesus quotes this psalm, verse, uh, verse that we read, verse 5 earlier on the cross. And we're reminded that, that Christ willingly uh, took upon the cup of suffering, the cup of the wrath of God, the cup of judgment for our sins upon himself. And he, he willingly did that. And it was great suffering, great 
sorrow. And he knows that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but but what you will. We see even in that just the struggle. But he rested himself, he entrusted himself into the will of the, the faithful God, the Father. And he didn't not go to the cross. He went to the cross. He endured the suffering and the judgment for our sin that as his sin was placed upon, our sin was placed upon him, his righteousness is now placed upon us and we're redeemed. We need to be reminded that we can place our solid hope in the solid rock of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ who willingly went to the grave for us and rose again victorious. For us. So may we entrust ourselves freely to this faithful God, the faithful one, the faithful refuge, who is the living God and the loving God in whom we can trust and find hope. This week, uh, a song that I've been listening to on repeat. I don't know if you ever have songs like that, that you hear a new song, and you're like, man, I just got to listen to that again and again and again. Uh, this is a song... The title of it is A Son of God uh, by an artist named Nathan um, Partain. And um, not a well-known one, but just a song that kind of came in through my Spotify, just played for me. I was like, oh, that's a great song. Let me just read some of the words from it. I lie down and rest because I work no longer. I breathe in, refresh, no more soiled in disgrace. I looked up at him to whom... I am kneeling, and I see just delight there in my Father's face. I stand up in faith because I fear no longer. I pray and I wait for God to provide. I lean all my weight on Him who is able and set aside every effort of mine. I know now I am safe because nothing can harm me or break in and take what's stored up for me. I need not cling to dead, helpless idols. They no longer can hold any comfort for me. For I'm a son of God, and love is my freedom. I can ask anything of my father, the king. I'm an heir, I'm adopted, and my brother is Jesus. I'm a son of God, and my soul is at peace. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we, we thank you that we, if we have entrusted ourselves to you, we've turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ and the gift of forgiveness found in him, that we are, are those who are sons and daughters of the King. Lord, we thank you for the love, the steadfast love poured out upon us. and We thank you that we are called in to, to ask anything from, from you, our King. We thank you that we are heirs, we're adopted, we're brothers and sisters of Jesus that you bring us peace. Lord, help us to be quick to incline uh, or to call for you to incline your ear and quick for us to entrust ourselves to you and to rest in you. Uh, Lord, help us to reveal things in this life that we uh, have set up as idols or refuges that really are just paper mache hope paper mache uh, deliverances that, that just won't ever do. 
Lord, help us to, to entrust ourselves to you. Even strengthen our faith. Uh, help us to pray and know that you are our rock and then call for you to, to be our rock and our refuge. And Lord, I pray even this week for those who are walking through some of the trial and difficulty described in this psalm, that you would manifest yourself, demonstrate yourself to be the rock and the refuge and the overflowing source of steadfast love that you are, we pray. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.